Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Dean Rogers. Welcome back to the Dean Rogers Show. I've got a very special guest, Kathy Fecky. Welcome to the welcome to the show, Kathy. Thank you so much. Hey guys, welcome to the Dean Rogers Show, where we talk about real deals that we're doing and bring on awesome guests to talk about how they're finding success in their business to inspire and motivate you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. All right, see you on the show. Yeah, thanks for being here. So guys, just want to give you a little bit of taste of who we got here today. Very special, honored to have her here. Uh, Kathy got started in real estate about 20 years ago. You got to hear the story. She had her husband falsely diagnosed with cancer. So I can't wait to unpack that and see what that was like. But that was what helped Kat- Kathy propel into real estate to find you know, the, the income and the flexibility uh, that real estate can provide. And then got started investing in out-of-state uh, investing, developed pretty much the turnkey rental model that there is today, and got involved in syndications. And then she's been all over the media on Fox and ABC Market Watch and NPR, CNN, Wall Street Journal, the whole nine yards. She's been on all of them. And I've seen some of those uh, segments that you've done, which are which are so cool. So it'd be great to talk about that. Um, you've got a book, Retire Rich with Rentals, which is a topic that I love. And that's the game plan that I'm on as well. And uh, you've got your podcast, The Real Wealth Show. You can check out Kathy on Instagram at Kathy Fetke. You just type that in right there and we'll put it up on the screen. Um, you've got some other websites, realwealth.com. You can go to kathyfetke.com and growthdevelopments.com for syndications. So man, woo, highlight reel right there. <laughs> Lots of great stuff. And um, Kathy, great to have you here. So let's let's start where we always start, which is at the beginning, how you got started in real estate. Well, I think just like everybody, we knew that real estate would be a, a good idea, but we thought that you had to be rich first to get into it. So, um, you know, we always oh. hoped and prayed, but I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area and most people who invest in real estate, um, they get a, a cash flow, but it's of the negative variety. Right. <laughs> it's yep. like negative True. cash flow. So it's like people were feeding their properties with the hope that prices would just continue to rise. And that just seemed like a rich person's game, right? Who can who mm-hmm. can afford to do that? Um, so it wasn't until uh, t- 2003 when my husband had come out with his book called Extreme Success and he was traveling the country, kind of like the next Tony Robbins, I guess you could say. Um, he had been published by Simon & Schuster and was on this media tour. How but he cool. came, oh, it was so cool. Um, <laughs> and, and we had just bought it. Uh, we, we actually were able to get our first property, but because it, we house hacked before we knew that was like a term from <laughs> bigger pockets, but we we got this massive house, uh, six bedroom house and rented out the office and rented out the in-law suite. So that kind of made it possible for us to live there. So we were living in a really, you know, living our dreams, two little kids, beautiful house, Rich got his book signed or, um, you know, uh, sponsored by Simon and Schuster. So everything was amazing until he came home and saw this freckle on his leg He's a redhead with so many freckles, but he noticed <laughs> this freckle um, and and it was melanoma. They they actually did diagnose it as melanoma. What okay. they what they didn't uh, what they 
misdiagnosed was they thought that it had spread all through his body and that he, they literally told him you probably have just a few months. Wow. Mel- melanoma was a big killer back then. I mean, this is uh, 20 years ago. So today there's a, a lot, uh, you know, uh, other, other options, but they didn't really have those options then. And most people just died from it. Wow. So that, that was, and, and he knew people, he knew a lot of people who had died from it. So it was a really scary thing. Uh, fortunately, it had not spread and they were able to cut it out. And um, it, it was proven to be cancer-free about a year later. But mm-hmm. in that one year time period, I had been in broadcasting. That was my career. I was a news writer and um, part-time anchor woman in, in San Francisco. But when I had little kids and got married, I, I just didn't want to chase murderers and fires. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> wasn't wasn't what I wanted to raise the kids. Uh, so here I was a stay-at-home mom, hadn't been working for a while, and just had no idea how we were going to get through this. Um, if the doctor was right, that I just didn't even allow my mind to go there. Um, we stayed so positive that, you know, he's going to get better. Everything's going to be okay. But there was that little voice saying, what if he's not? Uh, mm. I, I just decided to um, use the one skill I had <laughs> that I had left. Uh, I still had a radio show on the weekends. It was really lightweight. I would just read news stories and kind of interpret them and get people to call in. And uh, I focused a little bit on personal growth, but I wouldn't say it was a really popular show, Uh, but it was fun. And it kind of kept me in the broadcast business. But at this point, I was like, okay, I'm going to change the topic of my show to how to build passive income. Because it was this term I had heard, but I didn't know anyone who had it. I'd read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, so I I knew it was like a possibility, but I had no idea how to do it. So I just made it my mission, changed the topic of the show. This was pre-podcasts and just started interviewing people and finding people who experienced this thing called passive income. And over the, over the years, or I should say months of interviews, I learned my eyes were opened and my audience eyes were opened to this, this new possibility. So that's how it started. That's so cool. Yeah. So what a wild uh, journey. I mean, most people wind up either the entrepreneur route, or at least most of the people I talk to wind up to real estate because of the possibilities, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There's so many different avenues within real estate that you can focus on, little niches here and there, but ultimately... um, the, The goal for me, and it seems like the same for you, is I want to accumulate wealth and passive income so that I can retire and I can have have the resources to do so. And um, and so you had that vision and you saw passive income as that that vehicle for you. So um, where'd you take it from there? Right, you started to uncover and interview and probably learn and discover how you could do it. Um, I know you said you started investing out of state. So what was that like? How did you mm-hmm. how did you rip that bandaid off and and discover how to do that successfully. Well, first, you know, you do have to have money to invest out of state generally. Uh, yep. There's people who wholesale. I mean, you do that. There's ways to get into real estate without having money. Uh, but I, I just thought I'm going to do something I already know how to do. And I knew how to do that show. I know how to broadcast. So I thought, but how do you make money from that? sponsorships, right? That's that's how mm-hmm. people make money in, in radio and, and entertainment. So I started 
listening to whoever was advertising. And this was 2003. So the advertisers were mortgage brokers. That was the big mortgage run up when anyone mm-hmm. could get a loan. And uh, it was pretty lucrative for mortgage brokers. So I just went down the list of mortgage brokers, called every single one of them and said, hey, you want to sponsor my show? Um, kept hearing a no, kept hearing a no. Just thought, oh man, what am I doing wrong? People, people are sponsoring. How do you get a sponsor? And finally, I thought I'm going to make an offer no one could refuse. So the next, it was probably the last mortgage broker on the list. I call him up. Mm-hmm. I say, and this is in Danville, California, not far from you. Yeah. Um, I said, hi, how would you like to be a star? I'm going to make you a star. <laughs> He's like, yeah. Like, okay, when, when can we meet? And I offered to make him my co-host instead of a sponsor. Ah. So he was willing to write whatever check I, I asked for. He wrote a big check. Um, there was some instant cash, so that really helped at the time. Uh, but then I came home to my husband and said, Rich, I am a total sellout. Now I have a mortgage show. I'm going to completely lose my audience. This is awful. <laughs> he started laughing. He's, you know, It's like, you're going to have a financial sh- show? Because I really had not been interested in our finances until then. I was a happy stay-at-home mom and broadcaster. <laughs> so he's just like, oh boy. And then he thought, well, why don't you find out what what his clients are doing with these loans. That could be interesting, these human interest stories. That's what I did. I just started interviewing his clients and they were doing the fix and flips or the the burrs or the buying holds and apartments, all these things. With many of these people I was interviewing were under the age of 30 and already retired. Wow. I was like, oh my gosh, some of these people have never gone to college. They just right out of high school started you know, working in real estate and I thought if they can do it, I have a college degree. I'm a broadcaster for goodness sakes. You know, I could, if they can do it, I can do it. Well, what happened is the, the stories were so compelling that our phone started ringing off the hook. My sponsor got so busy. It was so successful. And I had literally made him a star uh, that he just one day on the set, he said, you know, you should become a mortgage broker. I can't handle all the business this show is creating. So I got my real estate license. I became a mortgage broker during that crazy mortgage credit boom. But you could literally make $10,000 on one loan. And in those days, someone filled out an application, you turn it into the bank and bam, there was really not much to it back then. Uh, So our financial problems were pretty much gone at that point when I became a mortgage broker because the show was successful and people were excited about what they could do. So that's how it started uh, as far as you know, that me learning about real estate and also interviewing all these people. But then the really the, we hadn't bought investment property yet. Like I said, we had rented out um, these spaces in our house. We turned our house into a fourplex and that was really helpful. That brought in a ton of money as well. And we were kind of living for free uh, during this time when Rich wasn't working, you know, we still didn't know if the doctor was, was right. And if the doctor was right, the last thing he wanted to do was work. So it's like, just do whatever you want. Not a, not whatever you want, but have a good time um, <laughs> during this year um, while we figure out this, this financial situation. Uh, so I had, I was lucky enough to interview Robert Kiyosaki, from, the author of oh, Rich wow. Dad, Poor Dad. This was about 2005 by now. And he came on and he explained what I already knew because I was doing mortgages at that point. And the very first loan I did was a million dollar loan. Uh, I was going to make 10 grand on it. But the guy, I turned the loan in and the bank came back and said, um, 
you know, he doesn't qualify. And I'm like, oh, that's too bad. I'll let him know. He goes, no, 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 no. We changed it. He qualifies now. <laughs> what? How do you how do you do that? And he's like, oh, we just changed his income. Wow. Uh, came home, told Rich, does that sound oh, like something? Does that sound okay? And he goes, no, it sounds like fraud. Don't you put your name on that loan? Oh my and gosh. that that was the business. That's how people were doing business back then. So I knew something was very, very wrong. And I refused to partake in that kind of activity, but everyone was doing it. If I didn't do the loan, the person next door would do it for me. So when Kiyosaki came on and said, you know, this is all going to implode because we know exactly when these loans are going to reset and when people are going to have to pay and they're not going to be able to pay because they're not qualified and it's going to blow up. He And so he said the way, it, this was known, it was known that these loans were going to reset in 2006, 2007. And he said, the way you get out of the coming storm is you get into the fundamentals of real estate. You, He said, I'm, I'm selling everything in these bubble markets, all the markets that went up 40% in one year. Some areas have done that mm -hmm. this past year. He's like, you got to, you know, take your money and run. He's like he's, he sold all his properties in Florida, Nevada, you know, uh, California, and he traded them 1031 exchange for Texas. And when I asked, well, why Texas? Because at the time it wasn't a hot market. There was nothing happening in Texas. Prices had not gone up. The average home price was one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars or something. <laughs> it's like, well, why? And he said because the it has the highest job growth highest population growth in the country, but it's still 28% undervalued, meaning that the salaries were going up much faster than the home prices. So they mm -hmm. cash flip. Mm -hmm. I just thought, well, my goodness, that all makes sense <clears throat> to me. If it's good enough for Robert Kiyosaki, it's good enough for me. Rich and I jumped on a plane, went to Dallas and started buying properties. <laughs> That's so cool. I mean, what a great opportunity to interview Robert Kiyosaki and then get that insight, that little nugget to yeah. uh, take a look at that. And and were you nervous to to go out to Texas? I mean, had I don't know if you'd ever been there before, if you just said, not hey, really. we're just, yeah. just going to listen to Robert and go. <laughs> we, we, I had not been. Uh, I mean, why would I? <laughs> no, yeah. um, I, I hadn't been. And uh, the first thing I did, because he just gave me that tip, but I didn't really know anything. I didn't know who he was buying from. I didn't have connections. So I just looked up a realtor and she picked me up at the airport and she's like, Oh, you're from California. Well, I've got a great neighborhood for you. And she, she tells us about this neighborhood that's high end homes, $400,000 homes. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I know the average uh, cost of a home in Dallas is 120,000. That's the neighborhood I want to be. in. I want to be in the, the average home price. So we're just like, oh my gosh, I can't trust a realtor who just wants a commission is mm -hmm. kind of done with the deal. Not that all, um, here, I'm just going to take. Yeah, not all realtors are like that, but coming coming from California, flying in on a plane, they're like, oh, let me show Easy. you the expensive one here. <laughs> so we thought, who can we trust? You know, out of state, we've got a target on our on our forehead that's like stupid Californian. <laughs> yep. And we just thought maybe the property management. So we just met with probably 10 different property managers to find out where's the rental demand, where's the best place to own a rental. That's how that's how we created our team. That's so cool. 
Man, that's <laughs> that's smart. I mean, you just get on the get to to work in your network, and I think that's critical to be successful anywhere is to identify who your team is. And if you don't have a team, that's one of the first things you should be working on because I know when I've gone other places and unfamiliar uncharted territories and haven't got a good team, I've gotten, I've gotten hurt, (laughs) you know? Um, And all the reasons you said, you know, just people that were looking to make a quick buck and I was the sucker, you know? I'm going to say that's, really, I hate to say it, but most people, yeah. uh, it's, it's finding the right team who really cares about you is critical. And to me, that was going to be property management because they're the ones who are stuck with the property, right? Yeah. They're not making the upfront commission. So once I kind of understood the areas and one of the property managers was really good. She owned, this was another sign for me is she owned a lot of uh, property and she understood the market. And she explained to us that there's this little area. Well, first of all, Plano, Texas is where a lot of the jobs were going at the time. And there was this little area called Rockwell, Texas, that had A-class schools. Uh, It was on a hill, so it had views of of a lake. And I mean, on a hill with views is rare in Texas. So um, with a lake. Yeah. So it was just a really special neighborhood. And again, homes, brand new homes there were. $140,000 $140,000 for a gorgeous oh. brand new home. <laughs> so it just made sense. And again, I was a mortgage broker. I don't mean to make anyone jealous here, but at the time we could get no money down loans on investment property unlimited. Oh <laughs> as many gosh. as you want. So we're like, well, it's my five, you know, and you just fill out the application and boom, we, you know, we were able to acquire these homes. Amazing. <laughs> What a blessing. Okay. So you get started there. You start to get familiar with the market. And where do you go from there? Do you start growing it out? I know you talked about turnkey rentals. Uh, where where do you go from there? Well, I came back, uh, talked about it on my podcast or on my radio show. And um, again, we had phones ringing off the hook of people who not only wanted mortgages, but they wanted our connections in Texas. And that's when Rich and I decided to create Real Wealth Network, where People would have a safe place to go to to share information on property managers and agents and and find people that can really be trusted because there's a track record. So that's how we started our company. We're at sixty six thousand members today. It's grown. What? Ex- <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, and, and you know we would take busloads of people who had also never been to Dallas, and of course my agent. And property management company that we had worked with uh, was thrilled, of and course. we were able to make referral fees from them. But the the best part of it was that if you know now that I was rep- representing thousands of people doing the same thing I was doing, um, you know they we became a priority. Of you know course, that yeah. that's where our members at Real Wealth were getting special treatment because if one of our members was being mistreated by a contractor or a property manager or an agent, well, that would get around really quickly, right? Because mm-hmm. we were doing weekly meetings and you know, sharing information. So again, that kind of created the strength of a community of investors. And again, is what we're still doing today. When 2008 happened and the market fell apart, I was pretty scared. I thought, oh boy, I've led all these people in this direction. But it turned out to be 
it, it turned out to be the right thing because the properties that we they sold, there was one woman who sold, I helped her sell three Stockton properties at the peak for 420000 each that were renting for about $1,200. Um, we helped her 1031 exchange them into nine properties. So she sold three. She was able to buy nine brand new properties in Texas. She quintupled her cash flow and was able to retire. When she wow. went, when the housing crash happened, the properties stayed rented because they were in A-class neighborhoods, really solid homes and good neighborhoods with good schools. Um, in fact, her rents went up. Same with us, same with all of our members. The property property she sold in Stockton for $420,000 each were worth about $75,000 by the end of 2008. Crazy. So it was this was the kind of thing that we had helped so many people kind of navigate the coming storm and, um, and, and protect themselves that that kind of got me on these different TV shows. And uh, I won a Goldman Sachs award. <clears throat> it was really exciting. Yeah. Okay. Then, then in 2009, we're like, okay, now what? Now, now you can buy homes for 10, I'm not kidding, $10,000. I mean, they were giving away homes in some cases. Cleveland was like, take them. We don't want them. $1, you know, Detroit, same thing. Uh, but boy, you were getting, you might've paid a dollar for the property, but you were getting a, a home that needed a lot of fixing. Yeah. So we, again, just found teams of people. I, I went to Indianapolis. I went to Cleveland, Tampa, Atlanta, Houston, and these these neighborhoods were just, it was terrifying. It was just boarded up homes one after the other with foreclosure signs. And, you know, in every fifth house, there might be an older couple looking out going, what happened to my neighborhood? You know, there, there would be vagrants and um, drug dealers in these neighborhoods that were once really nice middle-class neighborhoods. So I would bring busloads of investors from California and from Australia, because Australians found out about me through my podcast, <laughs> and they were able to, um, the Australians dollar had doubled, but our values had gone down <laughs> so much, they they were picking up stuff for almost nothing. Wow. We'd bring busloads, and together we would buy all these houses on the streets that were boarded up. We hired teams to fix them up and make them nice, restore the neighborhoods so that they you know, we, we were not only helping the locals, but everybody was benefiting. The The people living there got to see their neighborhoods come back and um, investors got to get in really cheap. I mean, literally, we were buying these things for $10,000, $20,000, putting around 50000 in, but they would rent for $900 to $1,200 a month. Yeah. Wow. What an incredible story. That must have been just a wild time feeling like the wild, wild west, just mm -hmm. flying in and touring these neighborhoods with a bus and figuring yeah. out like, all right, let's come in here. Let's clean the streets up and let's turn yeah. this place around. Um, that's pretty incredible to be, you know, at the the forefront of that and, and be leading a bunch of people through that. The experience you had must have been incredible and uh, learned a lot. How to, oh, it was uh, hard. It was so hard. All that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, trying to manage a contractor remodeling your bathroom is hard enough, but just right. trying to trying to manage a contractor, you know, 200, 2000 miles away and, you know, plane right away. It was, it was very difficult. We had teams in each city managing it, but even they would get overwhelmed because in some cases there'd be 90 people on the wait list trying to buy these properties because wow. they were such a good deal. 
but uh, but then you have, you know, there's always people willing to take advantage of others. So you got to stay on top of it. So there were ups and downs, but overall, people who bought, bought back then are, are glad they did. That's so cool. So, um, so what has your strategy been? Has yours has been all out of state investing, the Californian who's who's going to the Midwest basically and and finding opportunities that aren't taking money out of your pocket, but putting money in your pocket. And so has has your focus specifically been primarily in the Texas market, or have you also gone in to some of these other markets as well? Oh, we've been in lots of markets. You know, like I said, we during the foreclosure crisis, we were in all over the country. Uh, for the last five years, we've been really focused on the Southeast because that's that's where the demographics are going. Mm-hmm. That's where the the people are moving to warmer. Cli- <clears throat> excuse me, people are moving to warmer climates where uh, you know where there's better taxes yep. and and where jobs are moving. So we still love Texas. But Florida, um, you know, Georgia, the Carolinas, they've been really good markets too, really good growth markets. Uh, we also still love the Midwest. And surprisingly, like I, I love Ohio, uh, Cleveland, Cincinnati, uh, Dayton. These are these are markets that never were growth markets. You didn't you didn't go there in hopes that the values would increase. You go there for the cash flow. But mm-hmm. over the last two years, we even got appreciation. Like in Cincinnati, I think prices went up 25% or something, which is unheard of. They've never seen that. So yeah. it's it's been an interesting time where some of the flatter linear markets actually saw appreciation too. I think that's going to stop. I don't I don't think we'll see a lot more of that. But yeah. uh, you know, it's certainly been a good time to invest. <laughs> so me me leaning in and listening carefully, what would you say is your favorite market to invest in right now? Well, we started a fund. I started syndicating in 2010 um, in the downturn, but and then it got harder and harder, right? As as there was more competition. Yep. But right now I feel like we're back in that sweet spot that we were in when I started syndicating in 2010, where there's not as much competition and there's more opportunity. So a lot of people are afraid right now. Uh they're afraid of the shifting market. And I've been through enough of these now that that's it's time to play like it's go time you know <laughs> right um so we started a fund a 20 million dollar fund uh so that we can buy properties in the north texas area okay. with all cash and i do actually i'm in the camp where i expect mortgage rates to come down next year so we're paying cash this year and we expect to refi and, and buy more but nice. as soon as as soon as rates come down it's going to be a frenzy again because we mm-hmm. still have this massive demographic of millennials forming households. And as soon as mortgages go down, that frenzy is going to be back. So there's this little moment in time where uh, where there's no competition. So it's, so this it's is the sweet spot right now. It is. It is. So North Texas, um, we focused on that for this fund. We're going to do another fund in, in Florida. Um, but North Texas is still, it's kind of been my uh, happy place during recessions because it's just such a strong economy. And specifically North Texas, because the chip manufacturing uh, that, you know, I don't know if you saw, but the Biden administration wants to bring a lot of manufacturing back to the U.S., including chip manufacturing. Okay. A lot of those companies are are going to North Texas. So it's it's turning into this Silicon Valley of, of Texas um, that there's already obviously a lot of investors in there. But now with this pullback, 
during this these couple of months of opportunity, we're 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 buying properties for a hundred thousand dollars, fixing them up to really high standards because a lot of these people working in the in the tech industry are going to expect nice properties. So we're bringing them up to A class standards and bringing in these professionals making over a hundred grand coming to the area. Yeah, so I'm. I'm leaning even even more, leaning in even more now, trying to to make sure I'm hearing you. So, what what would you call North Texas? What is where are these areas the sweet spot that you could buy hundred thousand dollar properties? Yeah, um, it's the Sherman area, so it's almost on the border of Oklahoma. I don't know why okay. this area. So I, north of Dallas. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, north of Dallas and. Anna, Anna or Anna, I'm not sure how they say it, but Anna is a little town up there um, where it's perhaps a little bit more affordable than Sherman because Sherman is sort of on the books now as being this huge growth area. But like I said, it doesn't help that I'm talking about this on podcast because that's bringing more investors in. <laughs> but um, but there, it's been really a good time to be buying because people are afraid. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm... Um... I'm looking at the map of Texas right now. Uh, my partner, speaking of of movement to Texas, he he just bought um, some land right now with with his um, an, another partnership that he has, and it's right right on the outskirts of San Antonio, and it's going to be a hundred million dollar project of developing wow. warehouses, and they've already got prospective buyers and like all this kind of stuff. Like it's big, big, big time and um, super exciting stuff. Lots of growth in Texas. So that's why I'm like, I'm leaning in a little bit yeah. <laughs> listening carefully um, because that's exciting. Exciting to be in a market that has that kind of growth, but still has those affordable prices that you just can't find everywhere else. So um it's pretty interesting to to see that and see how people are shifting and and starting to look at those developing markets and be willing to go outside of their their backyard. So I kind of want to highlight that a bit because that's a special skill to have. Whereas I I you know I live in San Diego. I invest in Central California where I grew up, so I understand the neighborhoods. I understand what the houses look like. I can relate to the the people who live there. And so for me, it's an affordable market below the median price point of, of the nation. And, uh, and funny enough, most Californians, it's not on their radar. <laughs> you know, They don't even realize that part of California exists. Um, <laughs> but that being said, um, I, I preach, you know, invest in your own backyard because you're, you can go deeper and wider and you know, become more um, known in your market. But you've done that on a massive scale outside of your backyard, so that is just—I gotta say—that's incredibly impressive. And um, so, what is the what are the special skill sets you'd say you had to develop and get good at to be able to go into other markets and have other people becoming involved? Like, what what would you say are kind of the, the top couple skill sets you had to develop to be able to pull that off? I really think it comes down to creating relationship. Mm-hmm. That's that's one of the most important things you can do in any business, right? And no matter what part of real estate you play in, it's all about relationships. So really being a uh, somebody who can go uh, 
first of all, do a lot of background checking on people before doing business with them. Yes. Amen have- to that. I'm going <clears> to <throat> repeat that if you didn't hear it in the back. Yeah. Background checks and yeah. and do your due diligence on people. Make the three, four, five extra calls you have to to check on people because I have gotten gut punched and lost hundreds of thousands of dollars because of not doing that. Me too. I mean, there was one team that I was working with in Pennsylvania and, uh, you know, I, I was a dummy. I mean, part, part of it is, so number one is you, you've got to, uh, you know, understand who you're working with and do the background checks and make the phone calls and find out people, people know people, right? So if you mm-hmm. call local title companies or mm-hmm. uh, property managers, they might know who you're talking about. Um, but certainly Google will too. But um, after that, the second thing is making sure that you know what you're doing mm-hmm. and that you do all of your homework. Uh, we, with this Pennsylvania guy, I was like, you know, find me a great house because we were buying these houses for 20 grand. And you know, like I said, putting 20, 30 or $40,000 into them. So he ends up like, oh yeah, I got this great house for you. It's going to be 50 grand all fixed up. I send him the money. I do everything I'm not supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And wh- all the things I don't teach, you know, <laughs> I'm always teaching, send your money yep. to escrow, get your inspections, get your appraisals, make sure that you've done your due diligence and background check, so to speak on the property, right? You've got to know what you're buying. And I just was like, why would anyone mess with me because I'm going to bring this guy so much business. He's going to give me a great deal. I'm going to rave about it and I'm going to send a lot of people to him. No, he ends up selling me this property that was so dangerous. I had the neighbor call and say, you have a family living in this house with small children and they are in danger of the house caving in. This is how bad the property was. Now I have enough money and savvy that I got a very good attorney and I scared this person and I got my money back. But not everybody wants to spend that kind of money on an attorney. If I had just done my simple due diligence, got an inspection, appraisal, went to see the property, talked to a property manager before doing it, I an independent one, not the one who's selling you the property, uh, then I would have been, I would have known. You would have saved yourself a lot of hassle and pain and money and all that kind of stuff. Yes. I I have been there and done that. Um, Because you trust people. You trust people. And 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 you're good natured. So you believe other people are good natured. You believe you attract good natured people. I've I've been the same bushy tailed, bright eyed person too. Uh, And gosh, there's, you'll, you'll run into an occasional person that if you don't clear them out and do your due (laughs) diligence that you you might just get caught up. And um, so, yeah. Got to do. I mean, it's it's the same as I like to compare it to when I took my family to Costa Rica for vacation and forgot to look at the exchange rate, and I just had a bunch of money. I didn't know what it was or what it was worth, but I was hungry. So we go to this sandwich shop, and you know, they're like, "I will. I want this, this," and give them money, and they gave me money back, but I didn't know what it was. We walk out, and I hear them giggling. And I just look at my kids and I'm like, that's the sound of someone who's just made a deal. They just ripped me off. (laughs) And I don't even know how much because I don't know the exchange rate. That was on me, right? Of of going into a foreign country and not being prepared. It's the same thing with real estate. Just, you know, you got to know what you're buying. You got to know what you're doing. And there's a lot of resources for you. Again, just find local boots on the street, licensed uh, inspectors 
can probably tell you more about that property than you would know if you were walking through it yourself. Totally. 100%. Um, okay. So uh, man, I, I'm just, there's been so much cool stuff that you've done that I, I like, I'm thinking to myself, what else should I ask Kathy? Because there's just, there's so much stuff that we could dive into. We could be on here for hours, but um, so let's, let's shift to this last topic here. So you've experienced when the market was down and you have um, helped so many people through this journey of buying real estate to create that passive income and be able to retire. So based on where we're at right now, the sweet spot, what do you, how do you, how are you navigating this market shift? And also what do you think is going to happen with the market? Yeah, it's a good question. And I'm, I do uh, market updates every quarter at realwealth.com. If you, nice. you want to go look at, look up those, I, I just finished one and I'll uh, doing another one in January, but I also have economists on the Real Wealth Show all the time uh, to, to kind of help me understand what's going on because I'm not an economist, but I interview them all the time. Uh, so with that said, one thing I know for sure is that we have a situation today where uh, most people who own real estate, who own their own home are locked into rates far below what their rates are today. Uh, you have, I think it's like 30% in, in a 2% rate and another, yeah. you know, 30% in a three and, and, and a four. Yeah, it's so remarkable. It's, you know, people who own real estate are in, in the best position that they've ever been in. They have equity, they've got low payments, and they're not going anywhere. So yeah. it's not, it's, this is not, you can't compare today to 2008 ever. Totally it's, agree. It's, not the same. These people in 2008, I can tell you firsthand, never should have owned those homes, never qualified to begin with. That is not the case. Today's homeowners have the highest FICO scores. They have high income. They qualified. And you know how hard it is to qualify for a loan. They had to give every possible piece of documentation to back everything up. So very high, uh, high credit uh, people who pay their bills and are in low, low, low payments. They, they, have payments far less than rent today. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the idea that there would be some kind of housing crash, it's just not possible under those circumstances. Somebody's going to walk away from all the equity and their low payment for because they lost their job when there's 10 million jobs available that they could go get. So, you know, I, I'm with that said, the Federal Reserve realizes now, finally, far too late, uh, that they stimulated the market for too long mm -hmm. when it was already overstimulated. It's like giving your two-year-old, you know, more candy while they're- it, And they're it, still like, giving away free yeah. money on certain <laughs> programs. Give, yeah. <laughs> what are yeah, they doing? exactly. It's just, you know, or it, it's just like, anyway, there's a lot of things to compare it to, but the, the Federal Reserve was stimulating the housing market until March of this year when we already saw prices go up, you know, 40% over two years. So they were just so late to the party. And now trying to turn off the lights and get everybody to go back home and <laughs> go to bed. And it's not happening. There's too much money circulating. The Fed printed, um, well, the, the money supply today has increased to $21 trillion in circulation. Yeah. If you go back to 2008, it was $7 trillion. So yeah. we have three times the money in circulation. That's just money that they created out of thin air. And to, to have the audacity to say that's not going to create inflation, is it's ridiculous. Of course it is. When you've got three times the number of dollars in circulation in just the last 13 years. And in the last couple of years, you know, 
seven trillion was created, which is the amount of money that was in existence in in America in 2008. So they've created the same amount and they think that somehow that wasn't going to create inflation. Either that or they were lying to us and they knew it would. Yep. But what whatever it is, it's kind of obvious to the rest of us. They're trying to get that now out of the system. And usually how you pull money back out of the system is through bankruptcies and foreclosures and stock market crashes and all of that, um, losing jobs. It's all the negative stuff that they're trying to do right now is crash the economy and mm-hmm. um, to, to, to curb this inflation. So far, they failed. Um, however, I'm pretty sure that when you look at year-over-year inflation numbers, basically the the year-over-year inflation numbers have been hovering around that 8% mark, uh, which is 8% higher than a year ago. So it's kind of, inflation's been kind of flat. But when you see the headlines, it's like, ah, it's up 8%, but that's not it. We're talking year-over-year. Now, when we get to December, that's when inflation peaked its ugly, reared its ugly head, basically. It, it it came up right around then. So by December, we're going to start to see year-over-year numbers that aren't that bad, but we're not going to see that till January. So until January, the Fed is going to keep doing what it's going to do, and pretty soon things are going to look okay. And as soon as inflation looks like it's been tamed, because it really has been hovering around that 8% mark, not going much higher than it, in fact, coming down, we know that commodity prices are coming down. So uh, basically, mortgage rates follow inflation. Inflation comes back down, we'll most likely see uh, mortgage rates coming back down too, which is what I see. And if that happens in Q2 of next year, Q1 of next year, we're going to see another housing frenzy. So it's like we have this like four or five, six month little window to, to get in and buy deals because most people think that rates are going to continue to climb. I, I just don't see that. Yeah, a, I don't think that's going to happen. I wouldn't say I'm the uh, the the person who's studied and spent a lot of time, but from having conversations with smart people like you who have smart co- smart conversations with other people too, that's uh, that's kind of the theme that I'm I'm hearing as well is that they're going to be coming back down. So that's reassuring and positive, which further supports now is a great time to buy while the the sentiment of the market is down and get better deals, so that when the market does come back to a better light, you're in the position to where it's now maybe appreciating and you you bought it at a depreciating or kind of stagnant kind of market. So um, yeah. that's some great insight. I'm super glad to hear that and excited. And so, um, man, Kathy, what a pleasure to have you on. Again, I'm just sitting here thinking about all the other questions I could, could and want to ask you, but um, we might have to have you back on again and talk more uh, about the the exciting things you're doing. But thank you so much for being on. Again, guys, if you want to follow Kathy, you can go to the many websites, Kathy, kathyfedkey.com. You can go to realwealth.com. You can go to growdevelopments.com and find her online at Kathy Fedkey on Instagram and all the other platforms. So uh, Kathy, any last words? Um, just like I said, just stay educated and don't listen to headlines because they're just meant to scare you. And yes. headlines can be interpreted many different ways. So interpret it the way that it best serves the investor. Yeah. Well, you of all people who have been in the business know that best. So uh, great advice there. Thanks again, Kathy. Appreciate it. And uh, until next time, peace. See you later. <laughs>